0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Bible in the News. This is Tim Billington joining you. This week we're going to look at the events in Russia, Ukraine, and Europe. As the West tries to ratchet up pressure on Russia, the pressure seems to be also coming the other way. When we look at prophecy, we see that there are weapons that are in the hand of God, things that God uses to pull nations in the way he needs them to go to get his will done. Here's an example from Jeremiah chapter 44 and verse 13. It says, For I will punish them that dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. God raises up nations and uses their military might to judge other nations. He also uses famine and pestilence or sickness. So who is his sword in the latter day? If we look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and some other verses, we see that one of the nations that he is using, a key sword of the latter day to bring his judgments, is is a nation headed by a man called, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, Gog. If we look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 1, we're introduced to him, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. The word that's there as chief in the authorized version or the King James version can also be translated as a proper name. So um, the American Standard Version treats it that way. So Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 1 and 2 in the ASV, And the word of Yehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. So, in these verses, we can see there's this man that's heading up this this group of nations. He's the leader of these people. He's the chief. He's the, the head, the ruler. He's of the land of Magog, and he is the head, the chief, the ruler of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. If we read the historians and look at the history books and old maps, we find that Magog, the historians equate with Scythia, which is Eastern Europe or Russia. The core area is Crimea and close to it, but sometimes expanding out far as they conquered areas from the Don to the Danube and um, far up north. Rosh, or as it's often called Rus, is quite well known really. There's the what's known as the Kyivian Rus, Today we have um, Russia has that name in there and Belarus as well. So this area we would expect to include at least Belarus, a chunk of Russia, um, Ukraine or the Ukrainian Rus, and perhaps more. Here's a map of what the Ukrainian Rus included at its peak. You can see it's quite a chunk from down by the Black Sea all the way up into the north, heading way up into northern Russia. We also see that there are those that are with Gog. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togarma of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Verse 7, Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. That last phrase there where it says, Be thou a guard unto them, it's actually somewhat ambiguous in Hebrew, and you'll see it translated um, like "Gog" or the the nations of the first couple of verses, are a guard to these people. It's also sometimes used as a prison, so you get um, translations such as the NIV that's at the bottom left there, Get ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you, and take command of them. So whether it's Gog that is guarding them, or as a prison guard that guards the prison, has them in a kind of coercive subjection, either way um, these nations end up working together and uh, and form really the, the two legs of Nebuchadnezzar's image. So as we consider this today, and look at the relationship between Russia and Europe, what we see is that we see Russia's moves, Putin's moves, putting Europe in a kind of checkmate. He's, he's orchestrating events to use energy and, and whatever he has at his disposal to put pressure on Europe to get them to do what he wants. So this commentary from the National Interest says, Paradoxically, the rising costs of war appear less sustainable for wealthy democratic EU countries than they do for poor, isolated Russia. As a result... As the headline says, Western unity on Ukraine is fragile and Russia knows it. Further into the article, it says historians will look back on the Euro-Russian energy war as an example of how not to exploit politico-economic leverage. As the EU imposed ever tougher sanctions on Moscow, the plans to halt imports of Russian crude oil and natural gas were announced. Defense hawks had long advocated this, and the centrist Europeans now agreed as a way to cripple Russia's economy and strangle its war effort by denying it lucrative export earnings. Fine, the Russians replied, we can speed up your transition to new energy sources by reducing the gas we ship to you right now. To which the EU's panicked reply was, wait, we won't be ready to cripple you by halting gas imports until 2026. You're blackmailing us. And then he makes the comment, never pick up a grenade until you're ready to use it. It might just blow up in your hand. As we look at war progress, it seems like Ukraine is perhaps even winning as they fight against Russia. They are scoring more hits and they're starting to get hits right inside Russia. As this headline says, as this ammo dump goes up in flames inside Russia, probably not an accident. New mystery explosions ammo dump fires in Russia. But what will be the net result of this? How will Russia respond? Will they just let themselves lose the war, or might they have some tricks up their sleeve that could make this even backfire? Russia is a nuclear power, and the world relies on deterrence and the nuclear taboo to stop Putin from using his nukes to gain advantage at a time such as this. So we ask then, is America prepared Do they have the appropriate weapons to deter Russia? In this article in The Hill, it quotes an admiral, Charles Richard, who is head of the Russian Strategic Command. He says the U.S. is furiously rewriting its nuclear weapons doctrine. Americans, as he implied, are unprepared for what could happen next. Great power conflict is coming. We are at the edge of a war with Russia and China. Henry Kissinger told the Wall Street Journal in an interview published Friday. It goes on. Up to now, America has employed a one-size-fits-all deterrent strategy, a leftover from the Cold War. During that period, both the United States and the Soviet Union maintained the capability to destroy each other many times over. As Barry Goldwater indelicately put it, the Soviets knew that the U.S. could lob one into the men's room in the Kremlin As a result, no Kremlin general secretary surged armor through the Fulda Gap in Germany. And he goes on, Many fear that the Cold War deterrence concepts no longer work. Why would they say this? Moreover, the U.S. Navy needs a new generation of short- and medium-range nuclear-armed cruise missiles, largely because various presidents, including the current one, have blocked development. Congress is trying to remedy the situation, but America is still in an enviable position of having the wrong type of weapons to deter Russia's use of low-yield warheads. Putin probably believes the U.S. would not start an all-out thermonuclear war over a tactical strike. The thought is, if Putin uses a nuke that perhaps takes out um, a smaller target, like a, a regiment of the ukraine of the ukrainian army that the united states is not going to respond by wiping out moscow alexander Lukashenko, the belarusian president issued a warning that's quoted here in the times of israel belarusian president alexander lukashenko says russia ukraine and the west must agree to halt the ukraine conflict to avoid the abyss of nuclear war and insists Kiev should accept Moscow's demands. We must stop, reach an agreement, end the mass operation and war in Ukraine, Lukashenko, Russian President Vladimir Putin's top ally, Tal's AFP in Minsk. Let's stop, and then we will figure out how to go on living, he says. There's no need to go further. Further lies the abyss of nuclear war. There's no need to go there. So now, as Putin seems to be being pushed into a corner, what is going to happen? But the biggest risk, this article says, paradoxically, is the situation itself. Ukraine's success in repelling the initial Russian push into Kiev, avoiding the quick regime decapitation Putin sought, and transforming the war into a slog that offers little hope of either side achieving its maximized, maximal goals, nuclear powers facing defeat, or quagmire, have considered introducing these terrible weapons in the past. U.S. President Harry Truman in the darkest hours of the Korean War, the French during the 1954 Dien Bien Phu siege in Vietnam, and the Soviets during the Yom Kippur War. He goes on, Just because those who contemplated global annihilation in the past stepped away from the brink is no guarantee that today's leaders will do the same. If anything, the fact that Ukraine seems so important to Putin more so than Vietnam or Korea, or perhaps even Cuba to the Americans, only makes the risk that he will violate the nuclear taboo even higher. It goes on, a pure, It's not a purely theoretical concern. Current Russian military doctrine reserves the right to use nuclear weapons both in retaliation for a nuclear strike as well as in the event of aggression against the Russian Federation in which the use of conventional weapons when the very existence of the state is in jeopardy. That's why it's so unnerving to hear people in Putin's inner circle speaking in terms of existential threats. So let's take a look at these tactical nukes that we are talking about. So the blue circle is the five mile radius of the initial inner blast circle of the bombs that were dropped on Japan in the Second World War. The red circle is the two-and-a-half-mile blast circle of these smaller weapons. Russia has invested a lot in such weapons and has developed many different varieties. Here are the varieties that they have. All that's really left that NATO could use as far as smaller nuclear weapons are concerned are what's called gravity bombs. So you fly a plane over and you drop it and it explodes. The problem with that is that... um, The plane dropping them is put at great risk, because the only planes they have that can drop them are not stealth bombers. Let's consider now another thing that's turning up the pressure on Europe's energy crisis. They are experiencing a great drought. Rivers are drying up, crops are dying, everything looks bad. But as far as the energy in particular is concerned, it's adding pressure. Here's a quote from this article in the New York Times. The dry summer has reduced hydropower in Norway threatened nuclear reactors in France, and crimped coal transport in Germany, and that's on top of the Russian gas cuts. Hydropower, of course, is the first thing that would come to mind if you think perhaps of rivers drying up causing an energy problem, and that's definitely the case. Europe's hydropower generation is drastically reduced. Perhaps you would think solar energy would now be in its finest hour. And Germany... They're having problems with their power grid not having the capacity to transport the energy from solar farms during peak times. Solar power in general is not at its peak efficiency during high heat. Here's a quote from the CEO of a solar equipment supplier in the United States. Heat can severely reduce the ability of solar panels to produce power. As we mentioned earlier in regards to coal, river transportation has been hit. And Here's an article talking about Shell cutting production for the same reason. And of course, Russia announced just at this time that maintenance is needed on the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. And Europe, who uses gas to produce power, is feeling the crunch. And we're starting to see cracks in the German resolve. Their parliament vice president has said that they should start the Nord Stream 2 as soon as possible. But as we look at it from Bible prophecy, we see the hand of God at work, especially in the weather, to bring the situation where he needs it to be. And what we will see is we will see Russia and Europe gathered together with all those other nations and brought down onto the mountains of Israel for judgment, as it says here in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 18-23. to And it shall come to pass at that time, when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea, and the fowls of the heaven, and the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all the men that are upon the face of the earth, shall shake at my presence." and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against him throughout my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon many people that are with him, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 18 to 23. Which begs the question, is it just Gog that's judged? What of all the other nations? We look at our world today and we see a world that is ripe for judgment with wickedness, violence of all kinds left and right. Surely the time has come. Definitely this is the case. An example that points this out is Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with my glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So as we watch God's hand at work in the nations, we long for the day when his kingdom will be established and all the nations will come up to Jerusalem to worship, and his glory will fill the earth as he has promised. Please join us for more Bible in the News next week, God willing.